Hello, welcome to the PhonePulse.net podcast. This is episode number 117. My name is Adam. With me today, we have Kevin. How you doing, Kevin? I'm doing all right. We have a fantastic show lined up for you today. In just a minute, we'll be speaking with director Michael Tully about his upcoming film, Ping Pong Summer. And we'll be going over some of what we've been watching before diving into a feature review of Gareth Edwards' Godzilla. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First up, let's go ahead and bring Michael Tully onto the show. Talk about some Ping Pong Summer. Michael Tully, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a long time in, in the making here. We've been trying to get you on forever. I know. I'm really happy to um, talk to human beings who've seen the movie. So, first of all, I want to congratulate you on throwing out the first pitch at an Orioles game coming up. That's yeah. in July that you're going to be doing no, that? No, it's, Ju- it's June 7th. June 7th. The movie oh. opens on June 6th, and on Friday, on VOD, and then in about 20-ish markets theatrically. And then that Saturday the 7th, I throw out the first pitch at an Orioles game which is absolutely uh, incomprehensible press publicity for an independent movie. I mean, how did you... I'm, I'm actually going to be at that game. Are you serious? Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I'm going to be at that game. It's you you, you also know what that night day. is. It, it's not just me throwing out the first pitch. It's Manny Machado bobblehead day, which my You're... mom is more excited about. <laughs> that's the, I'm going because my brother is stoked for bobblehead night. Yep. There you go. That, that's well, incredible. So, I mean, how did you get that gig? I mean, that's like the stuff that presidents do. Yeah, I well, I mean, I guess technically what, there are 81 home games. So I'm sure somewhere in the middle of the season, we only hear about the big names throwing out the first pitch. I'm sure they all teams dip down into the D-League for someone like myself. <laughs> but, um, I, it, you know, it really was because of the Maryland Film Festival where we screened last week and they reached out to me and said, how, you know, should we throw a party or can we get some ping pong, uh, ping pong party, which a lot of these festivals have been doing. Mm-hmm. And I suggested the Orioles because I, in the past year I've read articles where they're really like obsessed with it. A lot of the, the main Orioles players will, that there have been articles written about how they kind of don't want to go to batting practice because they're in the locker room, the clubhouse playing ping pong. So I thought that that could be a fun window in. But timing wise, it didn't work out because our screenings were all conflicting with with their games. Um, But it was the Orioles PR guy by nature of Maryland Film Festival reaching out to the Orioles. Their PR guy said, well, what if the director throws out the first pitch? And then he quickly realized that the calendar was already full for that weekend, the first weekend of May. Um, So I quickly wrote back at that point. I was like, what about the weekend of June 6th when, you know, ultimately that's what we should all be putting our eggs into that basket. And Mm -hmm. miraculously, he was like, oh, yeah, that would work. How about June 7th? And there we are. That's awesome. That that is so cool. (laughs) I mean, uh, like Camden Yards is like that's a place that I've been to since I was a little, little, little kid. So, I mean, like it's reached this kind of mythic status for me. So I think that throwing out the first pitch there is incredible. Yeah. And, you know, of course, everyone is sort of making sure that I don't bounce it. And I'm I'm in Austin now. I live in um, sort of friendly with Richard Linklater by way of the Austin Film Society. And he's a huge baseball guy. Like he made a documentary about the UT baseball team Mm -hmm. that is not for like film lovers it's like real for diehard baseball fans but um yeah he was just like do not bounce it man he's like throw it high the the catcher can always stand up but if you bounce it you're gonna have to live with that for the rest of your life (laughs) so have you been practicing 
I haven't yet because I'm like panicking. <laughs> I have this rewrite due on a script. Um, but I, I will be on a mound um, practicing at least, not like I'm going to do every day or going to training. I mean, the beautiful thing is I would compare it to like Septia in this last movie we made where I had to make this kind of impossible basketball trick shot that was not a shot that I could just freely make. I couldn't make that all the time, but I thought it would look good on film. Um, but, you know, I grew up playing sports, so I felt like all of those hours and hours and hours in the driveway practicing basketball for seemingly no reason because I was not <laughs> headed to the CBA or the NBA. Um, it all paid off because I made that trick shot on the first take. And I feel like all of my years of Little League are not going to let me down. But I am going to practice for sure. Yeah. As a side note, I loved all the sports stuff in Septian. All all the different hustles you did in that movie. Well, thanks. Yeah, that was. Uh, I wanted to put real athletics in a movie, and we can maybe even talk about that in Ping Pong Summer. For me, it was more important to have the kids, you know, not be that good, but be really playing versus mm -hmm. faking them being awesome, like Matrix style. Like they're incredible. It's like no, they're not. They're adolescents in 1985 in an arcade in Ocean City. Like they're not going to be that good. That would be well, weird. Let's uh, let's use that as a nice little segue to talk about Ping Pong Summer. So. Wait, this let me start by saying I listen to your guys' podcasts. I usually try not to like read press and whatever, but it was hilarious and awesome, and that's <laughs> well, why I you. wanted to talk to you guys because it, <laughs> it was just, it was, it was like more than my wildest dreams could have imagined to have two guys who sort of have a connection to that world, and then, and then you know, yeah, sort of mind blown in a way of like, why is there a super duper looper shirt and all that stuff? It was really <laughs> cool to. Uh, well, <laughs> well, see, that that was the thing. So uh, I went to Sundance this year and I saw that Ping Pong Summer was going to be premiering there. And I didn't know anything about it at the time. And then as I was doing research on the films, I was like, oh, shit, this movie looks looks pretty interesting. It's a, about a kid named Rad Miracle and, he, and it <laughs> takes place in the 80s and he loves hip hop and ping pong. I was like, sign me up. I didn't realize that it took place in Ocean City until I got to the festival and was reading more about it. And I was like, oh, my God, this this sounds like it's about me. Yeah, <laughs> so I was like, I have to us. see this movie. Well, that's the funny thing is in the podcast where you're kind of like, um, you know, the sense of like, how could this movie you know, play play well to anyone else. It felt so sort of like embarrassingly personal to me and then maybe to you. But, um, you know, like we, we even in Rotterdam, I was panicked. It was like nine, a 900 seat filled theater in, in Holland where the people are way more reserved. You know, they'll they're really smart audiences, but they're not sort of the laugh out loud types. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's played well everywhere, you know, like a week before we were in San Francisco and I, I ask at every q and I say, who here has been to Ocean City, Maryland? And I mean, more than you would expect, like even in Ashland, Oregon and San Fran, like 30% or 40% of the people raise their hand, which is pretty awesome. But then the movie seems to play well. It's like, again, I'm the last person that'll know what people really think. But um, but that said, this past weekend, we had our first public screenings in Baltimore. And that was the first one that I sat through. I didn't even sit through it at Sundance. And I'm really glad I did because it, it cut one the scene when it cuts on the boardwalk and it cuts to a dude in a hammerjack shirt. The entire theater started <laughs> clapping. Yeah, that's see that I loved all the little inside jokes in the movie. But I don't think like my girlfriend saw this with me. 
and she's she's not from that area but she was still laughing like she's still there was there's a couple little inside jokes that i had to explain to her but she still enjoyed the movie and i think that that's really the key yeah, that I, I mean, think, we, I think that a, you balance that line. It would have been a foreign film, you know, like we have the Rehoboth joke, we have Hammerjacks, we have some <laughs> things. But again, it's like if, if you're doing it, um, Eliza Hitman, who directed It Felt Like Love. I don't know if you guys know that movie, but <clears throat> it's a really good movie. And she's like, what in the hell is Hammerjacks? Why did the theater start applauding? Like, you know, she and her boyfriend felt like they were went to a plan another planet to watch a comedy. <laughs> and we're just like, what? And they seem to still like the movie. But um yeah, it, it, that was a line where it was like, I wanted to make it very specific and personal, but I didn't want it just to be overloaded. The same way I didn't want just like pop culture humor, you know, hindsight humor. Weren't the 80s funny? Like 1985 right. was the summer that Live Aid happened. And you're really tempted to put a joke of saying like, we're going to go watch um, Live Aid on closed circuit TV. Who's coming? You know, <laughs> but we made a real strong point to try not to have that kind of joke in the movie. Well, that's the, that's the interesting thing about this movie is that it's not just like a, a movie that takes place in the 80s and just is crammed full of like these 80s pop culture references. And there's plenty of pop culture references in this movie. Mm. And a lot of small things that I really liked, like when he orders the suicide and <laughs> uh, and the sniffing, sniffing the cassette tape case when you first open it, like just small things like that. But really, this is a movie that, it felt like it was made in the 80s, the way that it's structured. And I think that that's the big difference between this and like just a movie that like a modern day movie that's set in the 80s. Yeah. And I think that's like for, I guess, Kevin or whatever, who was like, you know, in the podcast, it was hilarious because it was like, I like that part. I like that part. It's like, what do you give it? Five out of 10. It's kind of <laughs> not a good movie. And like, I sort of agree with you. In a way. I don't want to be like on this podcast talking smack about my own movie. But, um, you know, it, it's a weird one because the, the sort of slower pace and all the, the, the elements that kind of keep it from popping in in a way that I feel like maybe some viewers want it to it sort of intellectually when you're talking about making an honest 80s movie um, I still stand behind all of those decisions that we made you know I feel like that is what made it feel more like an artifact from 1985 which was our goal and even you know like we could have done more freeze frames and all those things but I do feel like I, as a viewer, just like I get weary. So I'm, I'm a big believer. And if you've done it once in the movie, move on. And that maybe will, if anything, will make a, a viewer want to watch it again to get back to that part rather than saying, oh, that worked really well. Let's do that three times throughout the movie. Um, but, yeah, there's something about it that, you know, what, what I think I'm proud of, that it feels like an artifact and whether people like it or not, they seem to all agree that the, you know, the production for a low budget movie, we really pulled something off. But that is what keeps it feeling kind of like, I don't want to say flat, but just sort of like, you know what I mean? Like it just keeps it from popping in a way that you might be wanting it to as a viewer. I was, I kept thinking of that uh, other 80s movie. I think it's called Take Me Home Tonight. It was really, it was not very good. It had Topher Grace in it and oh, Dan Fogler. Yeah, I was scared to, you know, again, we were a little sensitive and I felt like I would have been watching it too critically. So I haven't seen it yet. Well, yeah, so that movie takes place in the 80s, and it does exactly what you were talking about, where it's really it's really polished and clean, and it, it pops, and it's nothing but these 80s references, like kind of broad 80s references, and it does not work 
at all. And that's really the big difference between that movie and your movie, where your movie, you could easily, you know, pop in a VHS copy of this movie and it feels like it's an 80s movie. The way that the characters act, especially like um, the little, the the, the red-headed crony. Oh, the, of the crony. Bully. <laughs> <laughs> like his character to me, like that is an 80s character, how he... He's always kind of cackling and like always on that dude's dick the whole time. Yeah. I mean, it's just that was so 80s to me. Can you imagine like you're you're we were panicking and we actually had cast a lot of the parts with the bad guys. We were having trouble. And then we went through Pat Moran, who's John Waters casting agent in Baltimore. And um, can you imagine when you're trying to make a real 80s movie and then you see an audition video of that kid's face? Come on, and then you're just like, okay, the movie gods do want this movie to happen because he just sort of got it. And I didn't show any of the kids. I think the, you know, in some ways, the trickiest character is Teddy Fry, Rad's friend, because you know, it's like the movie is. I, I like to say it's more inspired by not the Karate Kid, but like the knockoff of the Karate Kid, like No Retreat, No Surrender. Um, that is the movie that maybe inspired this. So you're not trying to set out to make a bad a bad movie um, because then it's sort of pretentious and stupid. But the the roots of this are rooted in kind of bad cheesy movies. But then we tried to tell it very sincerely and earnestly. But the Teddy role is something I feel like for the, a kid who hasn't acted, and especially on film, um, I didn't show any of the kids' movies. Like, we all just sort of came at it from a different place. But then if you go home, or if you, like, watch Ping Pong Summer and then go home and pull up on YouTube, No Retreat, No Surrender, you'll think maybe we just copied that movie, <laughs> which, like, we didn't at all. But it's, um, yeah, it's a totally different style of acting and stuff. And I think that's where it's you're, you're scared if viewers don't have the sort of film history. They didn't come of age with the video store and the VHSs. Then they might just be like, this is embarrassing and atrocious. This isn't even a movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, do, I do think it's a really ballsy move to make it like that. Because to my knowledge, I don't think that there's any movies that take place in the 80s that that do that kind of style with the actors to get them to act in that sort of cheesy 80s way. I was, I was reminded of Miami Connection too. Yeah. And you even use a dragon song, a dragon sound song in your in the movie, which I loved that scene by the way. It's funny some people the real diehards are like it's sacrilegious. How dare they? you know, tarnish the reputation of Miami Connection. But oh, um, <laughs> that really is the only um, the only song I was kind of being a little bit uh, stiff about not using, clearing any music from after the summer of 1985. Like I was doing the, the kind of thing that Linklater did with Dazing and Fuse, mm -hmm. where I, I really wanted to be historically accurate. But um, we, we used that as a filler. And I was going to have Kevin Barnes from the band Up Montreal, who did our closing credits original anthem, which is its own sort of thing like every 80s movie needs to have its own original but um i sent it to him the clip of the friend montage with friends forever and he wrote back and was just like why would you not use that song it's <laughs> he's like i'm not gonna do something better than that so at that point you're just like okay we're gonna maybe we're gonna break that rule here just because it feels right and that's you know i didn't want to get into a steven soderbergh rigid 
we only use camera moves, we only make these decisions, and then we cannot waver from that. It's a, it's a mix of setting up a really strong, rigid structure and having those rules, but then if you like cut Friends Forever to that and it just feels like there's no other song that will, will be more perfect, then you just have to use it, I feel like, and then you sink or swim with those decisions. Yeah, and I, I think that it was a really good choice to, to keep that in there. Now, I want to talk about some of the other cast members, because you, you have a really good cast in this and they all did a fantastic job so you have like susan sarandon leah thompson amy sedaris uh again you have robert longstreet who, who you worked <laughs> oh, with in yeah. septian oh, oh yeah. longstreet yes and i mean <laughs> longstreet is the best he is in septian I, I i just can't I can't talk about that enough. He was so incredible in that movie, but he's great yeah. in this movie too. You know what's funny is, uh, well, yeah, in Septian, he's just um, a whole nother level. But in this one, um, I've been really quickly to for for listeners who don't know, I've been tr- I've been had the idea for this movie in 1992 when I was a senior in high school, and I've been every year I've been saying I'm going to make it next summer. And then I went to college and graduated college in 1997. I saw someone in Baltimore who I hadn't seen since I graduated college in '97. He's like, "Hey, Tully, what's up?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, we have our party after tomorrow night." And he's like, "Oh wait, that ping pong movie? That's your movie, the one with Susan Sarandon." And he was like, "That's the one you were talking about in 15." <laughs> years ago um but uh but yeah so uh Longstreet I guess the point of this is that Longstreet was Uncle Jim and Aunt Peggy were for many years were had a much bigger role and it wasn't a family vacation it was like Rad was kind of a loner who goes to live with his aunt and uncle for the summer um and I basically would just write a, a new draft or if not once a year many more times a year for the past 22 20 years or whatever but um so when I told Robert I was like okay you and Amy Sedaris Aunt Peggy and Uncle Jim and I sent him the draft or I didn't even send him the draft. He was like, oh, no way. And the last time he'd read it was 10 years ago, and it was a huge part. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I think it's just going to be a day or two. And he's like, well, how's that even possible? And then it hit me like, oh, man, you're unfortunately, he was thinking like lead, lead role. But mm-hmm. it, I, I don't know. I think with the Aunt Peggy and Uncle Jim, we, I had written a version where they came to the champion, you know, came to the Delmarva showdown. And it's like, they're not going to leave that house. You know, he's not going to go inside Mm. Uncle Jim. You know, it made for a really fun character to write. But the reality is, like, they're having a tantric marathon and then he's going crabbing and going out to the beach. And that's it. (laughs) That's their life. They're not going to go anywhere else in Ocean City. And plus, earlier in the film, he he gets so angry when he finds out that that rad is in the, in that fun center playing ping pong <laughs> yeah he's so angry yeah inside. the idea of him like oh. going to the fun hub it's enticing but you know th- that joke was maybe a little bit of a nod to national lampoon's vacation or whatever or real life when it's like you go see the weird family members because you feel obligated and then by the time you're halfway through dinner you're like why did we do this and then when you're in the car you're like let's just not talk about this until next year <laughs> when we have to see them again so it just felt more honest ultimately. But yeah, I mean, I want to pitch a sitcom with Longstreet and Sedaris, like bring back the laugh track. <laughs> I think it'd be great. <laughs> so I was wondering, like, how close to your own life is this movie? Does this Is this uh, based on, I would assume this is based on experiences you've had growing up, right? 
Well, it's it's a it's a difference between I would say like if I talk to film students and stuff and you try to teach screenwriting, it's like there's autobiography and then there's being personal. Um, so this movie is not autobiographical in the sense of like the narrative. There, it's it's but it's inserting very much my exact own personal upbringing into like the '80s movie structure. So. You know, I like to say that I not only would I have, you know, boned the kiss with the pretty girl on the beach, I wouldn't have even been on the beach with the girl to begin with. So, like, <laughs> all of that stuff are the movie elements and making the friend and those things. But um, but when it comes to the personal aspect of, like, my dad was is from Ireland and was a Maryland state trooper, to the extent that John Hanna is actually wearing my dad's outfit at the beginning. That's his real police uniform. Um I have three sisters, I have three older sisters, and when you're writing a low-budget movie, that becomes one sister very quickly. Um, <laughs> so that was a bit of a hybrid of the goth, kind of like listening to the Smiths and the Cure while I was mm -hmm. listening to rap, and my sisters would always make fun of me, and I'd try to make fun of them, but they would win. Um, so, and then the, you know, the, the cassette tape, all of the like little, I would say the specific elements within are very personal and true to my life, whereas the actual arc and narrative of the movie is totally movie land. Hmm. And I love uh, just another little thing we, ta we talked about on the show, how Judah Freelander instructs Rad on oh, how to yeah. make the, do on. the perfect slushy oh, mixture. That's, that's Bush League at first right there. Yeah. The, the, the first time through. Come yeah. On. Yeah, Judah was awesome, and our, our direction to him, you know, because Judah has his cap of world's greatest and, and sunglasses <laughs> and stuff, and I was like, how can we do something a little bit different? And then we just sort of took it into being, what if you're like a sort of Maryland haggard uh, riff on the Lost Boys saxophone player with that kind of helmet hair? And uh, we all loved that and went with it, and he was only there. You know, that role is totally beneath that guy. He's a he's a brilliant comedian and a, and a star, and he... He's from Maryland and he's actually really awesome at ping pong and loves ping pong. And we met and he was like, I'll do whatever you want me to do. So that was huge to get him. Yeah, that's awesome. So, I mean, this this had a really good run at the festivals. I must say, I tried to see it at Sundance and I didn't get to see it. And it was playing at one of those at the screening library. And I was like, oh, sweet. So I can go see this and then I can go see ping pong summer at the screening library. And it wasn't there. It was we crossed off it. the list. It, was, it wasn't supposed to be in there because for this movie, whereas with Septian, we'd actually made a deal before the festival because that's not the movie that's going to start a bidding war <laughs> at Sundance. Um, <laughs> but uh, but with this one, we thought let's let's sort of get distributors in the room with the crowd. So mm. actually, there shouldn't have been a screener in there because we wanted people to watch it with the crowd. Yeah, so I was really bummed. I missed it at Sundance, and then. The next festival I went to was South by and I was, I tried to see it at South by and I didn't get a chance to see it there either. So I did end up seeing a screener for this, but I think that this is the type of movie that you want to see in the theater. If you, if you can, this is definitely a crowd movie. Yeah. I mean, God in Maryland, I just can't wait to, you know, we're opening, we have two Baltimore area theaters. We have the AFI silver outside DC, um, and then sun and surf and then Rehoboth has booked it. Um, our distributor has been incredible because the, the sort of deal we made with them was a 10 major market theatrical release and then video on demand everywhere. So technically those guys could have been like, all right, we satisfied. We have New York, LA, 
DC, Baltimore, Minnesota, Boston, you know, Dallas, and then be like, done, that's it. We're moving on. We did our job. But they have embraced the sense of like the heart and soul of this movie. I've kind of described it as uh, the success of like a Bernie or a Mud. That's a movie mm -hmm. that rather than starting in New York and LA and branching out, I think you have to go to the heart of where it is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's played well. I was just shocked. And I mean, I guess the difference is me with a beard. Um, in a movie doesn't really get as many people at a festival uh, in a kind of weirdo sort of dark movie <laughs> and then you make a comedy with Susan Sarandon's name attached to it and then all of a sudden everyone goes flocking to it so yeah that wasn't really premeditated but a as I've sort of done the circuit with the movie uh, on the other scale the the we had five screenings at South by and they just kept staying full every and everywhere San Francisco full houses and it is a very novel concept for me who's not used to that and uh, you also played the the Sarasota Film Festival too because we talked about that a little bit off the air yeah How was that, that this year Sarasota's one that's where I met my wife actually so I have a really fond place in my heart for Sarasota um, and all of my films have shown there and then I've gone there as press and last year I was a juror but this year we were really honored to win the, the Terry Porter Visionary Award who he was a, he was a local like the kind of local cinephile but he wasn't a pretentious prick he was just sort of an encyclopedia <laughs> who loved all sorts of movies and I think Tom Hall the artistic director realized like what maybe people like about Ping Pong Summer is that it sort of embraces the good and bad at cinema of cinema at the same time. Um, and we won that. But beyond that, you know, I won that award. I knew I was getting it. So I gave this little spiel and then they announced the narrative audience award and we won that. And that was not a stacked theater. I mean, I knew a lot of people who were in the room, but like our world premiere at Sundance, there could not have been more friendly people in the room. And we didn't, you know, so it's like uh, the audience award is always a grab bag, but typically mm -hmm. that goes to the like Juliette Binoche French movie. And um, right. the fact that we won there, I was like, maybe this movie does have legs beyond the Delmarva Peninsula. Well, the the Sarasota <laughs> Film Festival is a really weird, at least to me, it's a weird film festival. It's like, because I went for the first time last year and it's like 90% elderly people and you never really know how they're going to, receive a movie because it seems like they don't really know anything about it going in they just kind of randomly go yeah and, and you just never know but it's it's a really cool festival i was really impressed by it no it's great my, my favorite example of that is um uh was it andrew bujowski when he showed uh beeswax and mm -hmm. i went in for the q a after to just sort of see how it went down and someone in the crowd goes like not being not being like condescending or being pissed off he just goes like what was that? Can you explain what I just watched? You know, and Andrew was kind of like, that's a really good question, you know, and then he talked it out and the guy in the audience was like, oh, thank you. Yeah, that, okay, that makes sense. Um, the beautiful thing about Sarasota and a lot of these regional festivals is the people who go to the movies are really open-minded and eager to see sort of different work that's not like the multiplex. And then you go to the parties that night and the people have no idea that a film festival is even happening. So you try to tell them you're a filmmaker and they look at you like you're poor and they don't give a shit. Um, so it's pretty hilarious, the divide. But it's like that that's what you need to sustain the festival is to have these sort of uh, rich donors and the flashy parties. And Sarasota has the most gaudy and surreal and entertaining. I mean, I like going to that festival every year just to like watch the expression of people who haven't been there for the yacht party because they're like, what planet 
This year, I'm like, I'm standing up in this sort of section at this yacht club looking and my wife is talking to Jason Momoa, Game of Thrones, and then two feet away, they're totally naked women in full body paint. And then behind that is a pool with people dancing like Euro trash club music. And you're like, yeah, this is indie cinema. This is what it's all about. Yeah. Uh, last year, I saw the dirties there. We talked oh, yes. about this again. And people in the audience thought that that was a documentary. They thought it was a real movie. And uh, when uh, when Matt Johnson showed up afterwards, they were just they were in utter shock. They were just like, wait, wait a minute. What? What is he doing here? No, it's great because especially coming from that sort of right on the heels of South by, you know, so like and that's a, just a more film savvy hipper crowd so like i think it's it's a really good test especially as a filmmaker to show your movie at sarasota um or if you know there are a bunch of them in in the southeast and the east um but but going to sarasota after south by you're like okay now what do what do real regular audiences yeah. think of our movie and it just is really stimulating tom and and my wife holly herrick who used to work there they they'll they'll show really challenging stuff you know like dog tooth and just sort of really punishing movies yeah. that people will they'll walk out wanting to swing at tom they're really mad but then they keep coming back for more yeah i saw post tenebrous lux last last year there <laughs> yeah. and people were just like nope <laughs> they're like i love walkouts. it i love it yeah <laughs> they have no they have no idea what they're getting into oh, i immediately want to go to the sarasota film festival I'm telling you, man, it it is a trip there. It is a it's you a guys weird, just weird sold place. the shit out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, you I'm can, a, you I'm can a go believer. with me next year. I'm a big believer. You should do it. So I want to talk about uh, independent cinema. Now you're you're an indie what filmmaker. I don't know what that is. You're an indie filmmaker. <laughs> you you're also the editor of, of Hammer to Nail, which is an independent film website, which I'm a big fan of, by the way. Well, thanks. Um, I just want to get your take on the current state of independent cinema because one way of looking at it is it's kind of blowing up i mean it's it's everywhere we got indie films everywhere and then the other way of looking at it is that it's kind of saturated yeah and i was just God, seeing yes. what your unique take was on that it, that's a you know that's the sort of trillion dollar question um are there you know, with this digital revolution and there are more outlets than ever and all of these movies, even the, you know, the regional festival premieres are finding homes online. Um, with Hammer to Nail, for me, it was, it was begun by Ted Hope and Corbin Day and uh, they wanted a site where it was just sort of like a pitchfork for, um, for movies. But I, at that point, I'm so embedded in the industry and I have so many friends that I was like, well, let's just be curatorial and positive. So it's like, we're not going to write about the 28 movies that are opening in New York, but we want to say, okay, these three, like Blue Ruins coming out this week, you really need to see that and sort of stay positive and curatorial. I'm, you know, like a little bit... Um, scared for the world personally i feel like they're you know like the the outlet um with a movie like joe like david gordon green's joe he's a he's a friend and i'd worked on george washington and i've known him you know since the beginning of his career and you know i think on video on demand that movie is really performing pretty damn well and it's doing mm -hmm. good for itself um but but those reports are never really released by anyone so all we see is joe 
oh, it only made 400,000 at the box office and then open on 40 screens and it looks kind of like a lackluster result. Um, so I do think these movies are maybe performing better than they appear. And A Blue Ruin is another example. Is like theatrically, maybe it doesn't look like it caught fire the way Radius wanted it to and the way I hoped it would. But I do think it's performing pretty damn well on video on demand. So uh, it seems like the distributors are happy with this new model. For me, the the one point I'll make, I guess it's it's a kind of impossible question, but do you guys know the term ultra VOD, which I guess is when it's like Magnolia does it, where the movie comes out a month before on video right. on demand. Yeah, it's like it a pre theatrical release. Yeah, pre theatrical. Um, for me, that is just like not sustainable because I I live in Austin and and the Sacrament Ty West movie came out well, yeah. I was like I'm not going to wait till June 3rd and I VOD'd it so that's great you know Magnolia made their money or Magnet whoever is putting it out specifically they made their money on that and it was like easier money for them but the reality is like when this movie opens at Cinema Village in New York and if it doesn't look like it performed well, it's just like, what is, is it, is this all just to get a New York Times review and sort of like, what, I don't know, it's really tricky for me. And that's the bigger question, which I just don't know the answer to. And for, for, for us personally, rather than doing a slow rollout of Ping Pong Summer, we're doing a day and date on June 6th. And I told our booking and our distributor, I was like, just book as many as we can for June 6th. And we have a few exceptions, like San Francisco and Miami are opening two, two weeks later. But I feel like even if you're blowing your wad and you're putting all your publicity into Friday, June 6th, that's when the video on demand, everyone can watch it. That's when a lot of the theaters, to open it three weeks later somewhere just seems like um, kind of uh, er erroneous or irrelevant to me. But then again, maybe people don't watch video on demand and they only go to the theater. So that's where I feel like as much as, as embedded as I am in the world, I still don't really know these answers at all. We brought up a couple really good points here. The, the video on demand, like regarding the sacrament, that was a pre-theatrical. And actually Ty West uh, just came out with a blog post recently regarding this. And I, I believe his last movie, I think The Innkeepers, was also pre-theatrical. Yep. And um, he has... Uh, he brings up the point of, of pirating like piracy with those types of movies is, is oh, pretty yeah. bad. And with independent filmmakers, it's even worse because they're not, I mean, they're not getting as much money as they could. Yeah. So I think that that's another issue with, with pre theatrical. And I think these <clears throat> days, if you have the option of watching a movie before it's even out in theaters in your home, people are going to do that. I mean, I'm going to do that. Yeah. And I love, I love yeah. seeing movies in the theater. Yeah, yeah but ideally it, that's also... the goal. But um, but I think that that is a great point. And someone this week I was talking about that, and someone said that like the 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 sort of rate or the ratio of your stakes being higher that your movie's pirated once it's available on video on demand, it's like over. You know, yeah. you're pretty much that's done. It. But a point that I would like to make is we've talked about this numerous times. Is like my current situation where I live. A lot of these movies don't come around that I can see them in theater. Yep. I would love to see them in theater, but it just it's not possible. So yep. VOD is fantastic for me. I just get to sit in the comfort of my home and see all these movies that I would love to see. Yeah. But I just can't I can't drive to the Charles every weekend to see yep. a movie. Right. I can't do it. Yeah. 
And I think that, that, but the only difference there is like, you know, if you treat it, for, for me, the issue is like, you know, why MUD was such a hit last year was that they didn't do the ultra, the day and date or anything. It was like a theatrical, they also had a, enough money to sort of do the 200 screens versus 20 screens. And that sort of changed the landscape for that movie. But um, yeah, that concept of if it's available, I'm, you know, I, I'm a cinephile. I love going to the theater. I'd prefer that. But I'm totally game for the video on demand. I think it's great. I think the problem is the distributors and then the theatrical powers that be, the, those guys, the, the power holders, they don't want those numbers to come out. Like I would have loved on the Monday morning after The Canyons was released and it was sort of only in New York and L.A., I would have loved to have seen a combination of what that made on video on demand that weekend. And I just think it's still too complicated where like maybe iTunes can tell you report right away, but some of the cable providers, it's a monthly thing. And that's what gets screwy because I think we shouldn't be scared of video on demand. But um, I do think if you're trying to have a legitimate theatrical run, it's going to get in the way. That's the only problem there. And that, that was what I was going to say earlier, was that uh, regarding the the numbers, um, I believe it was the distributor that put out Escape from Tomorrow. Yeah. They put out their video on demand numbers and they kind of like set out this uh, this call to action to all the other uh, distributors to post their video on demand numbers. And I think that it, it's only a matter of time before that happens, right? I mean, because yeah. their video on demand, if you look at it, you know, even three, four years ago, it was nothing. It was like, that's the place where you dump your straight to video <laughs> yeah. garbage. Yeah. But now it's like you have movies like Ping Pong Summer coming out on video on demand day and date. So yeah. it's it's a viable market now. There's yeah, some, I'm happy. It was kind of like Friendster when it came out. And you're just kind of like, this is awkward and nerdy <laughs> or like Match.com. And now online dating is totally normal and people get married and fall in love and life is grand. But um, yeah, the concept of like someone who really wants to see a movie and maybe has a personal film blog or website and they're just like, well, man, the immigrant's not opening for another three weeks, but the ability to watch it. It, it's only a good thing, I think, like to have a sort of point everyone and have the ability to see the movie at the same time. But yeah, it just seems like uh, who who was a, a filmmaker friend? I forget who, but he was just saying that like distributors still will hold the cards. So if they if they divulge that information, it might make a deal with the subsequent film a little bit shakier, and the filmmaker can sort of hold their cards a little bit more. Whereas if the distributor doesn't give them, you know, they'll give you the info once your your movies come out through them. But otherwise, is like if I'm at Sundance and I haven't had a movie, and then IFC buys my movie. I still don't really know what those VOD numbers are. And then maybe the deal they make will be a little bit, um, it'll be more beneficial for them because you can't sort of, you know, show them numbers and, and demand more for your money or m more for your movie up front. I feel like that's going to be something that has to change within the next few years. Because, I mean, if you look at a pre-video on demand, they would know those numbers, right? Would they not if they were just playing in theaters? So, like, if your movie got picked up, by IFC and it was just screening in theaters, you would know those numbers. Yeah. Whereas on video on demand, you as a filmmaker, you have no idea how your movie's doing. I mean, yeah. I, I imagine that would be really frustrating. It is, but then again, it's like we are gonna, I think after the, I've been, I can't really get into numbers and stuff, but a, a 
filmmaker friends who've had movies that just came out and I'm, you know, like gearing up for ours, we're three weeks away from the release and, you know, they will, you, they, you can get a weekly report from iTunes and that's sort of where a lot of the traffic is and then the cable VOD, like I said, it could be two weeks and maybe it's a month, but those numbers do come in and the filmmakers and producers definitely get to see that stuff. But again, it's like when you're on the other side, when we made our deal with IFC for Septian, um, I'm friendly with some of those guys and I was like, well, wait, I'm kind of a film writer, journalist, like, can I divulge information? This could be cool and helpful. And he pointed out to me, Jeff Deutschman at the time, he was like, it is in, you signed away that right technically. In the contract with IFC Films when we sold Septian, it said, you're not to publicly divulge VOD numbers. And that was a change in the contract from even a year before. Hmm. Well, hopefully we'll see some some changes in that. I want to switch gears a little bit and um, just talk about some maybe indie titles that you've seen recently, maybe some highlights, let the listeners know what to look forward to coming out or maybe some stuff that's out now. Yeah, I mean, I would say Blue Ruin is a big favorite. Oh, and, yeah. You know, sort of objectively speaking, Jeremy Sonia shot Septien, uh, and he's a friend, but he, you know, and he was sort of slated to make Ping Pong Summer. He's from Northern Virginia. He was a B-boy breakdancer. He loves 80s movies. And then he just had this itch that he had to scratch where it had been a few years. And when we were gearing up to make Ping Pong Summer, he was like, man, I got to... I got to get on the horse and direct my own movie. So I was, you know, blessed him and, and wished him well. And then, um, holy moly, that guy has done well for himself. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think for me, Blue Ruin is a, is a great example of um, artistic entertainment. And that's the kind of movies I like. I mean, I'll go watch Bellatar and a five-hour Wiseman doc, and I love that stuff. But, but I do think there's something to be said for movies that don't sacrifice whether it's a sense of humor or some uh, hook in some way, but also do it really artfully and with a personal voice. And I feel like Blue Ruin subverts the kind of like familiar thriller genre and revenge movie in a really unique way. Um, and Cold in July is another one, Jim Mickles movie that's coming out soon. I just wrote about it for the talk house, that site. And, um, yeah, I, I just really liked that. It felt like it was kind of almost like reading a good book where it would take turns and then, and then you're like, wait, is this a buddy comedy? What's Don Johnson's here now? Like, what is going on? <laughs> but it all felt sort of cohesive at the same time. So that's what I'm really into uh, at the moment, those two. And then, you know, the granddaddy of them all, I should talk about smaller movies, but I feel like Richard Linklater's Boyhood is a once-in-a-lifetime uh, achievement and I just really really hope that people aren't scared away by it being two hours and 40 minutes like it, it moves pretty damn quickly for a two hour 40 minute movie and then also he's been shooting it for 12 years so you feel like maybe that movie you could justify where um, all these can films are like three hours and 15 minutes and you're like does it really need to be that long but with boyhood it's like a pretty economical hour and you know two hours and 40 minutes but i think that is just a, a high watermark in a movie that none of us will ever see again yeah it, did you guys it, see it i i saw it kevin didn't Ke now did kevin not kevin is not, not a big fan of richard linkletter anymore he used to be right. You you were a huge fan. I I wouldn't say huge. I think you're a pretty huge fan. Huge. Maybe I don't. Well, remember. I would say I don't remember the past. to me was um. It's like Tree of Life meets Dazed and Confused. Kind of. It's like his. So it's funny. It's like it, it it actually felt more like Dazed and Confused to me than any of his other movies. For what it's worth. Yeah, that sounds I, I, good. That sounds it, good. 
There I is, like Jason Confused. <laughs> trying to sell you here. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not Waking Life, that's for sure. I oh, mean, yeah. It's not... There, there are some, you know, genuine moments like that where there's just, you know, very deep conversations, but... I think that there's there's a uh, a lot to latch on to. I mean, the thing that I was impressed, and I, I honestly thought like, oh, it's cool, you know, he shot it over twelve years, and it's that they use the same actors. But I was thinking like, am I really gonna be that into this mechanic? And yep. it turned out I was. Like, it turned out that I I was so moved by how he did that and I didn't think that it would affect me like it did yeah one other thing I should point out that I think was a huge decision because he was a pretty early adopter of digital you know he was oh, yeah. indigent yeah. and with tape and those movies um, but at the time he was sort of um, had the foresight to say let's shoot this one on 35 millimeter film and if he hadn't done that I think it could the movie would have turned into this sort of self-reflexive concept on the state of digital cinema, you know, it's like now we're using a DVX, now we're using an HVX, right. now we're using a RED. Um, and there's a cohesion that the celluloid uh, quality brings forth that makes you, I think, makes us uh, less self-conscious as we're watching it and enables us to just sort of get lost in it. And it's huge. And, you know, I, I, I think digital cinema is great and all that. But that context of you couldn't have started shooting that movie digitally in 2002 and it not have been distracting, you know, with whatever they ended up using for 2014. Yeah, the way that he edits it, it, it feels like it's just one. It feels like he shot it over like, you know, a set time you know like not in chunks over 12 years nothing about it feels disjointed like it's all one complete package yeah and i also i would say my first viewing i mean it's like watching a tree of life or a thin red line i would even say you've been waiting so long for this movie by this director and then it's it's hard to just be objective you know you're just kind of caught up in the spectacle of it all but um i definitely didn't i wouldn't say it's perfect you know i had some issues with certain some of the chapters and things but so if you're watching it you know i just say stick around and then the cumulative impact and i am really anxious with a few months removed to to watch it again for the july release but i just think it's like we need to support filmmakers who are um, doing kind of the impossible in a way. I don't know anyone else who would have been able to talk a company into um, committing to making that movie. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. All right, well, I think that that will wrap it up. We'll bring this to a close. <laughs> Ping Pong Summer is in theaters and on video on demand June 6th, so be sure to check that out. Michael, thanks so much for coming on the show and be sure to come back on your next project. Do you have anything? You're working on something now, right? I'm panicking on a rewrite. I keep rewriting the same script and we're supposed to be in Ireland in September making a movie. So I need to get off this call and get back to my script because <laughs> <laughs> I keep rewriting it every two weeks. And it's not a cosmetic rewrite. It's actually like somewhat dramatic but uh yeah the goal is to be maybe back in septian land with a british accent um or something or irish accent i'm very excited for that thank you so much for again for coming on the show thanks guys uh thanks for having me thanks again michael be sure to check out ping pong summer in theaters and on video on demand june 6th let's talk about some of what we've been watching did we start it with you last week kevin i think so i think we did i think we did uh, I saw Manhunter. Manhunter. Yeah, from 1986. I never saw oh, this movie. 
with William Peterson. Yeah, I never, I never saw this movie, so I decided to check it out. Figured it was, it was time because I've been watching Hannibal, the the TV show. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? I never saw Manhunter. Time to check out Manhunter, and it was good. It was good. I liked it a lot, actually. Uh, this is directed by Michael Mann, and it's, it's interesting to see. The, the characters that I've been watching on the TV show uh, back like in different actors playing the same roles. Mm-hmm. But it was also interesting to see how a lot of things from this movie go into the TV show as well. So it was, it was kind of, cause there was like certain things I forgot. And basically this is just the, the other one that came out with Edward Norton, uh, red dragon. Mm-hmm. That was just a remake of this anyway. Yeah. It, it was really good. I just don't have a lot to say about it. I mean, mm. it was a really well-crafted police procedural. Tom Noonan, as the the killer that they're going after, is really creepy. Tom He's, Noonan is fantastic. At yeah. yeah. He's really good at playing that creepy, creepy character. And Brian Cox plays Hannibal Lecter in this one. And, you know, you think, like... Nobody can do a better Hannibal Lecter than than Anthony Hopkins, but Uh-oh. Brian Cox does a pretty great job. I mean, they're they're very similar. I mean, you can tell that when Anthony Hopkins was given this role, they were he, like he watched them too. Yeah, they were like, "Watch Manhunter, and you'll get an idea." <laughs> How do you want me to play? Watch Manhunter. Just do what Brian Cox does, please. I mean, it it is very similar the way that they act. So it's it's pretty pretty interesting uh i would definitely recommend checking it out it's pretty pretty good yeah i don't i just don't have a lot to say about it unfortunately (laughs) just can't bring it together yeah i gotcha i go through that every single time we do this with every movie we talk about yeah most of my movies this week i don't have a lot to say about (laughs) so it's gonna be a great show here we go stumbling through movies uh, I watched a French animated film called The Painting. I saw which, this uh, on Netflix. Yeah, this is available on Netflix Instant. Uh, relatively short, 76 minutes long. So it's a nice, quick, breezy uh, viewing experience. Very lighthearted. Uh, it kind of feels like a Toy Story type deal where there's a painting and the characters inside the painting come alive. Mm. And in the painting, there's three classes of characters you have the all dones which are characters that are completely painted completely rendered and of course they think that they're high society and they deserve everything there's the halfies who are you know they're not entirely finished and then there's the sketchies who are just like little sketches so you have that going on so you have dealing with classism you deal a little bit they throw in this sort of like god concept here because they're talking about the painter coming back and finishing the other characters but you know the all duns are saying that that's never going to happen and what ends up happening is several of the characters come alive they leave the painting and go out into the real world and then they're in the artist's studio so they go into other paintings trying to find the painter and find out if he's actually going to come back and finish the rest of the painting. Another? So it's kind of the, them searching for their god. Mm. Looks pretty interesting. Actually, a, a while back, there was a Kickstart Sunday we did that was actually pretty much this exact same concept. 
Oh yeah. Where it was about uh, it was about a boy and his grandfather that somehow have the ability to go into paintings. But I think that in that one, it was like actual, like real paintings, like real famous. Oh, okay, okay. No, like I'm, I'm. Well, I'm just assuming that the paintings in this movie are made up for the movie, right? Yeah, they're made up, but you know, they definitely they have an influence of right. real life paintings. I mean, a lot of the characters, some of the women in this film look a lot like uh, Magdalene, his mm-hmm. work. Yeah, I'm watching the trailer here. It looks it looks pretty interesting. It's, I mean, like I said, it's one of those effortless animated films that's just a lighthearted, fun watch. It just puts a smile on your face. the The story is very simple, but yet it's effective, and it's just you know, it's a good time. It's a good fun for 76 minutes. Good light plus, romp. Yeah, the animation's fantastic. I saw uh, Neighbors. I forgot to mention that. Um, oh, you saw Neighbors. Yeah, I saw it last Sunday after we were finished recording, so I didn't get a chance to talk about it last week. Uh, but I did see Neighbors with Seth Rogen and Zac Efron, Dave Franco. I liked it. I didn't think it was a laugh riot or anything. Yeah. It, was, it was one of these comedies where I enjoyed it the whole way through, and I was very entertained, but I wasn't like laughing hysterically throughout the, yeah. the film. You know what I mean? Like there's certain I know what you're talking certain about. comedies where you leave the theater and you're like, yeah, I really liked that. It was good. But it wasn't like I was, you know, crying because I was laughing so hard. There were maybe half a dozen times where I actually laughed. So it's not hysterical, but yeah. it is it is quite funny. Zach Efron doesn't do a bad job in this. Like generally I, I get the feeling that he should go the route of Channing Tatum and just do more comedies. Yeah. He seems like he's he's really comfortable in the comedic role. Yeah. Uh, I think Dave Franco is f- much funnier than he is in this movie, though. Of course, I think it, it's kind of the characters kind of designed to be that way. But, uh, you know, it's basically about you, you have two sides of this because the movie follows the, the frat boys and it also follows... Rose Byrne and Seth Rogen as the the young couple with the newborn. And you have, you know, one side where it's like the the people that are getting older and trying to hold on to their youth. And then you have the other side of people that are young that are trying to come to terms with the fact that they're getting older and they're about to graduate from college and enter the real world. So you have like this whole generation thing that you got going on and, you know, they try to put in some some genuine moments in there some sentimental moments uh some of it works some of it doesn't really work i was gonna say that it sounds like that would not work yeah i mean it's just not it's not that funny i mean it's a it's a funny movie it's a good movie i enjoyed it there's a lot of weird like a lot of physical comedy that they put in some of it doesn't work there was one really funny scene where zach efron throws a an unopened can of beer at Seth Rogen and he picks up a trampoline and the, and the can bounces off the trampoline and hits Zach Efron in the face. <laughs> and that's just like a little, just a little moment that works. Uh, the, the scenes that you saw in the trailer with the airbag, the airbag mm-hmm. scenes, like those were pretty funny, but seeing them in on the big screen, like they didn't look very good. Like the scenes. Yeah, they, kinda... they, I was going to say, even in the trailer, it looks a bit off. Yeah, didn't didn't look great, but still slightly humorous. 
And there, there were a few, there were a few moments that that were really like they they hatched this plan, this this whole bros before hose plan, where they plan on getting Dave Franco to uh, sleep with Zac Efron's girlfriend in order to try to you know cause turmoil within the frat and get them to break up and all this stuff. And the way that they execute this plan is really clever and it's really funny. And I like the way that they did that, but. Hmm. So I would recommend checking it out. It's worth seeing. All right. All right. Neighbors in theaters now. <laughs> I don't know why that was funny, <laughs> but it was. Uh, I watched Sing a Song of Sex from 1967. This is, this is early Oshima, a guy I know for uh, In the Realm of the Senses. Uh, he does a lot of sex movies, I've been noticing. I've, I've watched two of his now, both early from the 60s. This is actually part of the Eclipse series box set called uh, Outlaw 60s. So it was his early films. And much like Violence at Noon, the other film that I saw by him, deals with rape. Mm. And I'm noticing Japan is obsessed with rape in pretty much the 50s and the 60s. It's just nothing but rape. Just constant rape all the time. And there's only one thing that I have trouble watching on film, and that's rape. Yeah, it's I can't tough. do. I can't do it. Rape is one of those things that I just can't. I can't do it. I, I'm sorry. And of course, this film is no different. I just had a really tough time staying with it. Um, most notably, one of the big things for this film is that there's no script. This was completely improvised. So that it has that going for it. Um, it it feels. It plays more like a more unsettling version of A Clockwork Orange, if you can imagine that. <laughs> more unsettling? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't more, there's uh, a fantastic performance from Ichiro Araki, who plays like the main character, Nakamura. He just displays this ridiculous amount of ice-cold indifference. There's one sequence where uh, one of their teachers is he's in his home dying. From carbon monoxide poisoning and nakamura just sings a baldy drinking song into the man's face as he dies and then mm. leaves and there's like it the, the film starts out sort of just standard narrative type deal and then like halfway through it starts getting really experimental which thank god because it was boring to be honest and the cinematography starts getting really great and there's this whole sequence where it's these four high school students that are just obsessed with sex. They're, they just finished their exams, and they're obsessed with this girl named number 469. She was in the exams with the guys. And so they start fantasizing openly about raping 469. And while they're doing this, what you see on the screen is sort of the the daydream or, their, you know, the fantasy of them raping 469 in the exam room you know the lecture room but the sounds that you're hearing are just the four guys just shooting the shit fantasizing about raping 469 so it's it's very well done the whole process of this scene but again it's rape and i'm sorry it's just really hard to like be into that like i can't do it i can't find rape artistic Mm mm-hmm it's difficult. I agree. So there's a like the cinematography. It's some of the best um, 
tracking shots from the opposite side of like people walking down the street. You know how you have the camera on the opposite side of the street mm-hmm. and you follow mm-hmm. the two people. It has some of the best I've ever seen, but it's just really rape heavy. Well, uh, let's 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 seg- segue that into one that I saw called Island of Death. Is is that rape heavy as well? Oh, it is extremely <laughs> rape heavy. So basically, this movie God. this came out in 1975. It's a uh, video nasty. So okay. it was, it was right. one of the list of uh, video nasty movies that got banned. Basically, it's about a couple who are on the run from the cops. They head over to Greece. Okay. Small small Greek island to hide out, go on a nice little vacation, and they basically kill everybody they see for so for uh, no apparent reason. <laughs> they just start killing everybody. It sounds like sightseers in Greece. It it is, but it isn't like sightseers was kind of quirky and it was a comedy and it was very lighthearted. Whereas this movie is just kind of vile and evil. And okay. the the reason. Basically, it's the dude that's kind of calling the shots, and it's the girl that's just infatuated with him, and she just kind of goes along with what he does, okay. although she does participate in things, and she gets kind of into it, but he's seems like he's uh, sort of this religious nut that's trying to you know cleanse the world of of evil and do God's work and all this and that. And basically, it's just the two of them killing people in a variety of different ways. Uh, There is a significant amount of rape in this movie. Near the beginning of the movie, which pretty much sets the tone for the whole movie, the the main guy rapes a goat. So, Uh, yeah, you have some bestiality in this movie. um, Yeah, rapes a goat. And and I'm I'm out. And then kills it. No, thank you. Yeah, so... Don't want any part of that. It's a tough movie. There's a scene where they nail a dude into a rock. Nail his hands into a rock. Okay. Uh, There's a scene where they take some sort of weird, like, white liquid. I don't know if it's paint. And dump it into a guy's mouth. Force feed it to him until he dies. Uh, There's a scene where they steal um, a bulldozer. And they tie a person up on the ground. And they, like, lift the... The front of the bulldozer and then lower it onto the person's neck severing their head that seems kind of i don't know seems oh like they go of, it seems yeah. like a lot of work oh they go big they go big with it and then of course just, there's just your typical shooting people with spears stabbing shooting with guns just everything else you can imagine it's ridiculous in between everything in between mm-hmm a lot of a lot of sex, a lot of nudity. They just run around naked for a lot of the movie. Hmm. It's uh it's pretty ridiculous. What's, the way the uh... way it's shot is really interesting though. Like okay. it feels like it's one of those video shot on video movies that came out in like the 80s or 90s. Uh-huh. Even though I don't think it could have been shot on video in 75. What is it? What is this called again? Island of Death. Island of Death. But it's all done on handheld, and it's really, it's really kind of interesting how it was shot. That was that was the one thing I was kind of, it, it, I don't want to say impressed, but I thought it was kind of <laughs> unique. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna tiptoe around that. Yeah, 
I would say it's more like natural born killers than sightseers. Okay. Because it's pretty fucked up. Well, I mean, again, I'm never going to see this ever. This sounds terrible. Yeah, it's uh, pretty bad. Uh, I don't want any part of this. I mean, as far as I've seen a number of video nasties, as far as that goes, like comparing it to the other ones, um, Mm -hmm. it's not quite as violent, but there is more violence, like sexual violence in this than some of them. Yeah. You know, whereas you have Evil Dead 2, which is incredibly gory, but it's not like, doesn't show violence towards women. Not really, unless you want to include the, uh, when his girlfriend comes back from the dead and is like a zombie. Well, you know, is, is you're, you're undead at that point. Is, yeah. Is, is violence. You're, you're, you're sexless at that point. Okay. You're dead. So violence towards women is different than violence towards zombie women. Yeah. I mean, when when you're a zombie, you're sexless. You're just, you're a dead person. That's, walking the earth now so what you were formerly yeah it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter it doesn't matter okay it's a, it's actually very liberating you know being zombies i think if everyone was a zombie there would be no sex no race and we could all get together in harmony yeah easily very nice that's i think that's what we should be shooting for island of death <laughs> island of death no thank you yeah don't want to see raping goats want no part of that i did watch uh silent running from 1972 from douglas trumbull who's uh best known for his special effects work on 2001 a space odyssey and blade runner the main reason i checked this out is number one it was put out by masters of cinema on dvd so i thought that piqued my interest and then when nebraska came out with bruce stern's performance everyone was talking about silent running silent running that's bruce stern's best performance and I thought, oh, I gotta check this out because I'm, I, you know, I'm not really familiar with Bruce Dern. The Burbs. Yeah, but that's not really, <laughs> you know, Bruce Dern in like a lead role. Yeah. No. So I, you know, I'm going through Netflix Instant trying to find something to watch, and bam, Silent Running's on there. So I'm like, oh, let's do it. This should be fun. 1972 sci-fi film that's not developed at all. It's just for some reason they're out in space floating around. Bruce Dern is a nature lover who is in charge of maintaining the forest in these domes out in space for whatever reason. They really don't get around to telling you. And at some point in time, they get orders to destroy the domes, shoot them off into space and nuclear detonate them, destroying them forever. Bruce Dern isn't having it. He's spent his last eight years fully dedicated to maintaining and cultivating these forests. And he's not going to let you just come in, plant bombs, shoot them off and blow them up in space. So things get a little little wacky. He ends up killing a guy with a shovel. Mm. He ends up shooting the other two off into space and nuclear detonating them while they're <laughs> in the forest domes. There's, uh, there's some droids. Yeah, it looks like they're drones. Were, looks like little, they're uh, little people inside of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think they were actually played by like uh, uh, quad quad amputees. Ah. Uh, so, and then what ends up happening is he reprograms the droids first and foremost to fix his leg because before he killed the guy with the shovel, the guy got him with the shovel in the knee, so he has to do knee surgery. 
So he reprograms them, and then he reprograms them to be his buddies, and then they just hang out for the rest of the film, just fucking doing nothing, really. Does he, get the, does he get the space madness? He gets a little bit of the space madness. Uh, he, yeah, he sort of dips his toes into uh, going completely insane. And really, the only thing that keeps this movie going is Bruce Dern's performance. He's, he's really good in it, but... There comes a point in time towards the end of the film where he's a botanist that's been spending eight years in space cultivating and maintaining these forests. And at a certain point in time, the forests are dying and he can't figure out why. Why are they dying? He's tried everything. (laughs) And then he realizes that it's because there's no sun. And I, honest God, I paused the fucking movie put my head in my hand and just I was like you got to be fucking kidding me. You want me to believe that this guy is a botanist and doesn't understand how photosynthesis <laughs> doesn't understand fucking sunlight and plant life. Are you kidding me? And it I just like it, through the whole process I'm like, oh, this is like a three-star film. And then when that happened, I was like, this is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my life. It's so fucking terrible. But I could completely understand seeing this as, like, if I saw this as a kid and fell in love with it, I could completely understand just being like, I know it's terrible, but it's a guilty pleasure. I love it. But Mm -hmm. I saw it when I was 30, and it's fucking idiotic. It's so terrible. (laughs) It doesn't understand the sun and plants. I want to add one thing to Silent Running. There is a funny sequence where he's eating a cantaloupe, and the other three guys that he you know, is on board on the ship with. They're eating their little synthetic space food and they sort of making fun of him with his cantaloupes and stuff. And a guy wants to get up and get some cantaloupe. And Bruce Turn flips the fuck out. Nice. Just loses his shit. And for that alone is it, it's almost it's almost worth watching. Just to see him flip out about cantaloupes. And it's got early Ron Rifkin in it. Hmm. Well there you go. Uh silent running. Playing on uh, Netflix Instant, right? Yeah. If you want to watch a terrible movie and have fun, <laughs> go for it. Uh, I saw a movie that wasn't that good called All Cheerleaders Die. Now, I was actually really excited for this for some reason because yes. I like Lucky McKee. And I read the I read the synopsis with this movie. It played, I don't remember what festivals it played at. It played several festivals. And it just sounded interesting. It was getting some some positive buzz, and I was kind of uh, into it. Basically, it's about a group of cheerleaders that get killed, and they come back uh, from the dead due to a mm-hmm. a spell that a witch casts on mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when they come back to life, they have a uh, hunger for blood, and they kind of absorb the blood and the essence of their victims and it gives them power makes them feel good <laughs> and it's just Cheers them up. unfortunately it's just not that good like i thought oh. i thought that it was going to be kind of uh, not a spoof but maybe kind of like a satire on these types of movies like uh, like jennifer's yeah. body or any of these other teen exploitation slasher type movies yeah, but it really wasn't. It was just uh-huh. 
it was just enough. It was very similar to like Jennifer's body or one of those other ones. Uh, it had this, it was actually really like Jennifer's body. Now that I think about it, <laughs> it had this whole like mystical twist, uh, that just was kind of lame. The special effects were pretty lame in it as well. I gotta say, anytime, anytime I hear mystical twist, I just automatically, I clock yeah. out. Yeah. I'm like no thanks. Yeah, I mean it's uh it's got some gore in it and there's there it's got moments of fun but a lot of it's just really lame. Like the characters are unlikable. You know, like they play these like everybody in it plays these kind of stereotypical high school people that don't exist in real life. Like they're all yeah. just complete it's, it's... deplorable assholes that I mean you want to see all of them get killed. Yeah. And it's sort of stereotypical by cinema standards. Yeah, I mean, they're they're all just like, you know, all the football players, these uh, misogynistic bullies that, you know, the one dude's like a rapist and he's just, they're all just awful, awful. What's up with, what's up with all the rape? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. God damn it. I'm so sick and tired of rape. Yeah, they didn't show it in this movie, but... They talked about it. You don't it. need to. Yeah, you don't need to show it. If you just mention it. I'm getting really sick and tired of rape. I, I will also mention that this was the first movie that I rented on Redbox Instant. So, like, Redbox has their own uh, video streaming service where you can rent movies on demand. I didn't know that. And this movie is not out yet on iTunes or Amazon, but it is available on Redbox Instant. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'll okay. check that out. Paid an extra couple bucks to get it in HD. This movie was not in HD. So, I'll tell you, my first experience with Redbox Instant was not a good one. Dude, I mean, would you tell them to go fuck themselves? Probably. Ooh. Because I'm I'm, I'm on Redbox Instant right now, and it looks a lot like Netflix. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it does. (laughs) Yes, it does. So, I probably won't be using Redbox Instant anymore, but... I believe all cheerleaders die, so you can get it on cable on demand, and it's also available on Redbox Instant, and I believe that it hits Amazon and iTunes on the 13th of June, pretty, pretty mm. sure. Okay. But I, I I don't really recommend it. Maybe it's a it's a light recommend. Like I said, there are okay. there are some fun moments to it, but overall it was pretty disappointing and maybe it's just because i had my expectations slightly higher for this movie for some reason like i said i was like really excited to see this (laughs) i thought it was going to be something because there were several people that said that this is the best horror movie of the year and all this stuff and i was just like no 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 i sort of had a similar experience not really a horror movie but i was really excited to see james gray's the immigrant I'm not exactly sure why. I don't know why I was so uh, yeah. I don't know either. Amped, amped to see this because as I was watching it, I was just like, "Why? Why was I amped about this?" That's why when you said that you were you were excited for it, I was like, "Well, you can review it then," because uh, <laughs> I definitely don't. And I had a really tough time reviewing this movie. Uh, I there's I have my review up on the site, so if you want to check it out, do that. But I, this is one of those movies that, and I'm, I'm finding myself that these are the most difficult to review. These elicit no feelings from me. 
mm-hmm. where I'm just like, meh. Yeah. Like, how do I put meh into words? Oh, yeah. 400 words. Yep. As well. I mean, can we honestly just just all agree that, you know, we shouldn't have word limits and that we can just be like, meh? Well, there is there are actually several f- mm-hmm. like festival movies that I didn't review because that's how I felt. <laughs> like, Yeah. Like, I... As soon as I was finished with this, I'm thinking to myself, how the fuck do I review it? You got... It's a pretty simple story. Cotillard plays a Polish immigrant, comes into the U.S., comes into Ellis Island, her and her sister. Her sister gets pulled out with tuberculosis, quarantined into the hospital. She has nowhere to go because she's told that her aunt and uncle's address doesn't exist. And also there was an incident on the boat on the way over and they deemed her a woman of low morals. So she's she's facing deportation. And then, of course, Joaquin Phoenix shows up, well-dressed man, sort of helps her out, greases the wheels, gets her out of Ellis Island. And you know exactly how this entire thing is going to play out right from the start. You know that it's rigged right off the bat. And she's forced into pretty much burlesque shows and prostitution to make money to try and pay off her sister's medical care and to get her sister out of Ellis Island and then Jeremy Renner shows up as a fucking magician for some goddamn reason (laughs) and he promises to whisk her away to the out west to California and they can start their lives over and who gives a shit it's so fucking bland it's a manila folder. What was this through and through? What was the score you gave it? A five? I gave it a five because it's the and it's the epitome of meh. Yep. Which has to be a five, right? I would think if so. If you're gonna go meh. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes I go like four is a meh. I I wanna go I wanna go ellipses. I just wanna go three periods. <laughs> Can we make that a score where it's just three periods? Who gives a fucking shit? about this movie oh my god i've i'm telling you, I it's one of those movies that i'm I'm watching it and as i'm watching it i'm just in my head i'm screaming like please be over what did this get on rotten tomatoes just like out of curiosity this has actually gotten really good reviews there's some 82. people saying that it's like yeah there's a lot of people saying that this is like an american masterpiece which i don't understand at all I don't get it. I apparently I'm missing something. Well, it's certainly not the type of film for me. I mean, if if I had to review it, you know, I would watch it, but I don't think that I would actively seek out this movie. No, it's, I mean, there's it's not, there's, you know, not yeah. geared towards my taste or my there's, preference. There's some there's some nice cinematography that saves it from being completely god awful. I mean, even the even the. Uh, the performances, Joaquin Phoenix, Jeremy Renner, Cotillard, you, they're not they're not that good. Mm. I mean, there's one final sequence at the end where Joaquin Phoenix really brings it. But the entire duration of the film before that scene, he's he's honestly, he's pretty terrible. Mm. Well, there you have it. The immigrant is playing in select cities now, so <laughs> doesn't don't doesn't seem don't. like you want to you should probably see that mm-hmm. one but no all right well are you ready for some godzilla action let's get into godzilla let's talk about some godzilla so 
This is directed by Gareth Edwards. The synopsis states, The world's most famous monster is pitted against malevolent creatures who, bolstered by humanity's scientific arrogance, threaten our very existence. So it stars Aaron Taylor Johnson, uh, Ken Watanabe, Brian Cranston, Elizabeth Olsen, Sally Hawkins, Juliet Binoche, uh, David Strathairn is in it. Is that how you say his name? Sure. We don't know how to say anyone's I name. I know. It's terrible. No, it's not terrible. It's kind of fun. So uh, do you want to start it off or do you want me to start it off? I don't, I don't really care. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll start it off. I actually really enjoyed Godzilla. Now, I didn't uh, think that it was amazing or anything like that, but I do want to talk about some of the some of the, the criticisms that people are throwing yeah. at this movie. Yeah. And maybe yeah. maybe we'll talk about that in just a minute. But yeah. General general thoughts on Godzilla. Uh I saw it in IMAX in three D. So the the visuals were pretty mind blowing and the sound the the sound that those creatures made was like it, like gave me goosebumps. I mean, yeah, it was the, so awesome. The this the sound design in this movie is unbelievable. I mean, some of the some of the scenes in this movie were like to me at least mm. seeing it in the IMAX jaw dropping. I mean, I was thoroughly impressed by all the destruction, all the big action spectacle moments. Uh, what I wasn't so impressed with was the the smaller character moments i felt like a lot of the characters in this movie even though they certainly take more of a a, a bigger role than in a roland emmerich movie for instance uh, i felt like these characters were still pretty typical like when you compare this to other disaster movies they're yeah. they're pretty much the exact same you know you have the scientist you have the soldier you have you know, all these people. And I felt like a lot of the characters were underutilized. Like Sally Hawkins. Like, wh- why was she even there? Like, she, yeah. she didn't do, Ooh, she didn't and do B- anything. And Binoche. Why, why even get Binoche yeah. to be in that role? I, like, I don't... Unless that was her, like, oh, I want to be in a Godzilla movie. And, and then like, I could understand that. But to put Binoche in that role just seems completely unnecessary. Yeah. I think that... It's a ballsy movie. Like I think that Gareth Edwards took a lot of risks with this movie by not just not just the limited amount of screen time that Godzilla is in the movie, but also like to to uh, have Brian Cranston be, in my opinion, the most interesting character, and he's in it for such a short amount of time. And I don't want. Yeah, I, I, wanna... I, I, I got to say, I was surprised by that. Yeah, I don't want to give was... anything away as far as spoilers or anything, but uh, I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that he just doesn't have a lot of screen time. He fucking dies. <laughs> just <laughs> go out and say it. <laughs> he fucking dies. You're watching a Godzilla movie. I mean, are you giving a shit about fucking humans? Oh, You're not God. here to be seeing humans discuss scientifical things who gives a shit he dies <laughs> he fucking dies <laughs> he fucking dies on a helicopter on a gurney okay yeah i it was interesting though to me because i felt like they he 
Edwards focused a lot on the characters and tried to develop them, yeah. but I just didn't think that it worked. Like it, it didn't work mm-hmm. for the amount yeah. of screen time that we spend with all these different characters. You would think that we would have more of an attachment to them in some way, but I, I never really, I, I still felt disconnected from the characters. And maybe that's just something that is indicative of disaster movies. Maybe it's just that we can never get connected to the characters in disaster movies. But well, I mean, we kind of touched on it when we were just talking about this film before we saw it. I mean, what what can you truly expect narrative wise from this film? It's you're tr- talking about it's giant true. monsters, yeah, right? Right. You're going into it. What you want to see? The main reason you're going to see Godzilla in 2014 is you want to see monsters beating the shit out of each other and destruction. And- now, you you know, there's going to be some character development i say that in air quotes because keep in mind it's a hollywood movie it's a summer blockbuster film you're not going to be what i mean what do people want do they want them to be doing soliloquies like igmer bergman style soliloquies where they're contemplating life well i mean what the hell do you want you can't with a movie like this you can't win because on one side you have people complaining uh about the fact that there are too many human moments. Now, on the other side, you have people saying that, you know, the, the if it was supposed to be about the humans, then, you know, make them, develop them more and have them be in it more. It, it's impossible. It's impossible to win in a movie like this. There's yeah. either too much Godzilla or not enough Godzilla. Because if it, if, like, yeah. like I said, like we were talking about in Letterboxd, if it was just wall-to-wall Godzillas... <laughs> We, it would be boring. Oh, people would be, people would be, they would be complaining the same things that I was hearing with Man of Steel, which is just, oh, uh, it's just skyscrapers falling. How much shit do I got to see? Just people crashing into buildings, destruction, ooh. And then when he sort of draws it back and doesn't show that much, then it's like, I want more Godzilla. Yeah. I want more destruction. And it just seems like these people that, and, I'm trying not to be an asshole here, but I'm getting the sense because I'm not really into Hollywood films. This is not really the thing that I go to the theater for. But I'm noticing when I'm seeing people complain about Hollywood films, it almost sounds like they have no idea what the fuck they want. Yeah. They just complain. To to me, this was almost a perfect Godzilla movie. Godzilla movie. Like, it does exactly what it should do. I think that the way, the amount of screen time that Godzilla has was perfectly suited for this movie. You don't want to, you don't want to blow your load in the first five minutes. Yeah. You You know, like you said, you don't want wall to wall Godzillas. Because honestly, how much can you do with giant, slow moving lizards slash insects? Like, oh, he's slowly moving his arm. Wait for it. Wait for it. Smash. Oh. Building comes tumbling down. Like, can you really stretch that out over 40 minutes? Like, you know, there comes a point in time where you're just going to be like, okay, I've had enough. This is just, it's just buildings falling, slow moving giant monsters. I get it. Yeah, but see, that was the interesting thing about this movie. Because they didn't show us everything in the first five minutes. It left us wanting more. 
mm-hmm. you know, it le- which it, is it, what you want to do. It was giving us he was he was giving us like a little taste. Like the one the one shot that I can think of in particular was when Elizabeth Olsen was in yeah. her little thing and they showed the door closing oh. or whatever and you could just barely see mm. Godzilla and you're just like, "Oh shit, what's going on?" and then they close the door yep. and you're like, "Oh." You know, know. It, and it gets you I, again, again, I'm fist I'm fist pumping right now. I love that scene, and I've I've seen so many people complaining about that scene where they're like, "Oh, Gareth Edwards literally shuts the door when the action starts," and I'm like, "That's what I wanted him to do." Yeah, exactly. That that was I what would, I wanted. It's, it's a tease. The whole entire movie's a fucking tease. I mean, because if, really, with Godzilla, that's all. That's all Godzilla movies are. It's just mass scale destruction. That's it. I mean, what, there's there's no story here. There's nothing you can really do. You just want to see mass scale destruction. That's it. I will say that a, a lot of the the military stuff, a lot of the scenes, like the scene involving the train, like I thought that that was all really well shot, and I thought that those Ooh, moments yeah. were incredibly tense. And I thought like those scenes were like really really well done and really impressive. Oh, I'm telling. We talked about it when we first saw the trailer, the flare gun entrance mm-hmm. of godzilla oh. might be one of the coolest things i've seen in the last couple of years that was just unbelievable and it was made even better by the fact i was in a theater right in front of me was a i would say maybe like nine-year-old kid mm-hmm. and honest every single time godzilla would show up this kid would jump in his seat, <laughs> fist pump, and just be like, yes! And I'm just, I'm like watching that kid, and I'm like, that kid fucking gets it. Yeah, he gets, he it. gets it. He fucking gets it, man. <laughs> That's what it's about. You just, it's just escapism. It's just, I had so much fun with this movie. I honestly, I really want to watch it again. And I'm completely surprised. I hated monsters. Mm-hmm. I did not. I'm not a fan of Godzilla. I'm not really into Godzilla at all. But my God, I had so much fun. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, I saw probably a couple of the Godzilla movies like years and years and years ago. I don't even know which ones I've seen. So I'm not a big monster movie guy either. Now, I I did like monsters a lot, but... I'm still not generally a giant monster movie guy, but I was just so into this movie. Like I was, and I know that a large part of it was, you know, the fact that I'm seeing it on the big screen and it it is this giant spectacle. And I was completely in the movie and in, you know, in what was happening. And, but it was just awesome. Like I just, I had so much fun with it and it was so much more to me than just, uh, destruction you know and and which is funny because i've read several other reviews where people complained about like just here's another movie with a city being destroyed and it's like what what did you want what did you what did you godzilla yeah if if a city should be destroyed in any movie it's godzilla yeah i mean what do you do you want godzilla sitting down playing chess with death what i mean what the fuck do you expect from godzilla yeah are you kidding me it's and speaking of the destruction, it was on a whole other level in this oh, movie. It was a whole nother, <laughs> oh yeah. my god! It made, it made Man of Steel look like bush league shit. Yeah, it this was insane. That whole last fighting sequence when they parachute down with the red flares, 
the sound design, everything mm-hmm. that went into that was just unbelievable. That, I was just, I was in heaven. Yeah, and they they really give you an idea of the scale. Like that was, I feel like that was one thing that that Gareth Edwards showed off a lot in this movie is when you do see Godzilla, you you may only see part of him, you know, in frame, and you get this idea is like this thing is freaking massive. I mean, yeah. it is so big. I think they said it's what three hundred feet tall. The only thing, as I thought, it was a little bit odd, and I, again, this is just nitpicking. Like when he was by the Golden Gate Bridge. And I love the fact that he like holds on to it like a railing, mm-hmm. like he had to steady his shit and everything. Like when he when he stood beside that bridge, he looked f- in, insanely massive. He was unbelievably tall. But then you show him in the city, and there's skyscrapers. There's certain, yeah, there's, there's skyscrapers that are taller than him, and I'm like, this is San Francisco, right? Like, really? Yeah. There, there it, were again, couple... it's a, it's a nitpick. Another nitpick uh, is. The fact that somehow these giant monsters have the ability to sneak up on people. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a couple times where I was like, come on, you hear that fucker breathing from like 10 miles away. And I love the fact when they're like going through the nuclear waste. Uh, yeah. The... it is in, out in Nevada. <laughs> you wouldn't see that right away. <laughs> it's like, would, do you guys have like the least amount of security like how do you not know that the entire half of the side of your building has been breached i love the scene i love the scene when they had the whole fleet of ships that were traveling alongside godzilla and then it suddenly goes under the water and it it goes underneath the uh aircraft carrier and they do that overhead shot where you just Mm -hmm. see it swimming underneath like that to me that was like that was just so cool and I was really With, impressed by a lot of the, the effects work yeah. in this movie as well. It's a, it's one of those things where you're going into it. It's a Hollywood film. So you know you, you're going to have to put up with a lot of Hollywood bullshit, sappy stuff. Like, I don't understand why Aaron uh, Taylor Johnson is just forever saving people's lives. Like, is there really a need for him to have a child separated from his parents and then Aaron steps in and he's like i'll bring him back the, it's like it seems like a bit much i but, agree yeah but it's a hollywood movie you know you're gonna have to put up with that shit it, i mean spielberg has laid down the right the groundwork for that yep uh the, speaking of that scene i thought that it was really cool when the you know the power was out and they're stuck on this little tram and then the power starts to come back on and the tram starts moving and it moves right to where the creature is. And I, I thought that was a really tense moment. I like that. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of great uh, directorial choices. Just in the, in the way that certain things were filmed. You know, the, the flare gun entrance. I thought that, that was amazing. It the looks, way they it, shut the yeah. door is amazing. There's I, just so I much. And the, a lot of stuff that surprised me that I just, I don't, I didn't expect to see that in a summer blockbuster Hollywood type yeah, film. Yeah, same here. I think that it was definitely not a conventional popcorn <laughs> movie. You know, like the the I really liked the the train scene on the bridge. Like uh, that, I thought oh, that, that that was, was beautiful. just so awesome. And I saw it in three D too, and that was one of the moments where the three D like really popped because when they did that shot where it was through the the uh, where it, where it was pointed down and you could see how far up they were on the bridge. 
mm-hmm. you could with the 3D you really got that kind of depth and you really got right. an idea of Jesus they're really high up and when you know they hear something and it's darkness and then you know the thing comes out at them I won't say what it is but it that was really effective too yeah oh my god so it, this to me gets an automatic like four star for one reason and that is the final fight sequence when Godzilla I don't know how much I want to give no, away. Don't, don't give it away. I know what you're but talking about. Just, dude, I honestly, I got to see that. It was amazing. I got to see that on the screen. It was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And I'm just happy that I saw it. Yeah, it was, it was badass. It. The, the one thing that I liked a lot was just everything with Godzilla. Like when we do get to see Godzilla, he's a badass. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's funny because even though we don't get to see him a lot in the movie, to me at least he had like a distinct personality like Yo, he he's the most badass thing i've seen in a long time yeah i agree they tried to just nuclear bombs dropped on <laughs> constantly to try and kill him he just goes to sleep fucking wakes up wrecks shit saves the world and goes back to sleep yeah, i think that that's what do, i mean what more do you want yeah he's not even mad at us he doesn't. He's not like he's you our guys savior. Owe me an apo- yeah, you owe me an apology. I want reparations. <laughs> reparations. Not <laughs> fucking nothing. He just goes to sleep, wakes up, saves us, goes back to sleep. That's it. Yeah, Godzilla. How's that not the most badass thing ever? Pretty awesome. God Pre- damn. Pretty awesome. I want to watch it. I know. Right I want to. I want to see it again. <laughs> but once, a, well, once again, there's there's rotting carcasses. This yeah. time, not not in New York. This time in San Francisco. But Jesus, imagine yeah. the cleanup on that. Oh, I can't Ooh. imagine. I can't oh imagine. God. I mean, not just the corpses either, but just the fact that pretty much the entire city's yeah. been leveled. Everything's destroyed. <laughs> and plus, the ending's kind of kind of ridiculous with the the nukes. Mm. Like, just like that. Yeah, <laughs> they they. It'd be a lot worse. Oh, let's it, just say it'd be a lot worse. There'd be a lot of people dead. There'd be a whole lot of people dead. A lot of questions to be answered. Yeah, I think that, and this movie had an incredible opening weekend. It's, I don't know if where it's at right now, but according to Box Office Mojo, could hit a hundred million in its first no, weekend. It's, I, I, I did. I was just completely surprised at how much I enjoyed this. Where did you put? You, where'd you put uh, Godzilla on your summer list? Ooh, where did I? Because it, it was number it was number five on mine, and so I know I that that's. I'm, I think I'm at like I don't know I can't find my list. I think I had it at two. Yeah, you're you're probably gonna beat me on that one, because it's it's gonna be huge. I just I mean to say they go from monsters to this, wow. And well, I know I think that there's a... probably a lot of people that are like, well geez to go from monsters to this really but i thought this was a huge step up well i i thought it was a step up too but at the same time it's you can see the influence like at least i could you could see the the the, the influence i mean clearly whoever decided to hire him for this movie did a good job i mean they saw monsters and they're like okay we want this guy because he has a unique vision of the monster movie. We want to get him involved in Godzilla. And it really seems because, you know, when you see like Spider-Man, Mark Webb's Mm Spider-Man, there's very, there's like some shades of Mark Webb in there, but for the most part, it just looks like 
a glossy studio film. But in this movie, I felt like they they had to have given him uh, a good amount of creative freedom with this yeah. movie. Now, do you think that uh, when it comes to saying the name Godzilla, they, my question is, is it, is it can it only be done by a Japanese person? Well, I know that uh, in in Japan, it's not e- it's not spelled that way. It's no, actually it's, spelled how they pronounce it with G O J G O J I R A. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I I wouldn't even bother because it would probably come off as just sound like a douche. But it just it seems well. The, yeah, I don't want to get into it. It's, it's just this whole thing that kind of seems rude that we're remaking Godzilla just with. Hiroshima and everything. Well, we... It kind of seems like... Yeah, but they incorporated all that stuff into the movie. Yeah, I, I which didn't... was ham-fisted as shit. That was that whole scene with the pocket watch was ridiculous. <laughs> the pocket watch. Oh, man. Terrible. <laughs> He's just like, pocket watch? He's like, what's this for? Hiroshima? I'm like, oh, really? Are you kidding me? Yeah, it was pretty bad. I did like the mention, though, that... Uh, Analog detonators for bombs are like clockwork because they are. Those... There's actually a number of watchmakers that that's their line of business. Hmm. Interesting. Make detonators for bombs. I didn't appreciate the Timex bullshit, but whatever. Uh, well, that that's interesting. I did whatever. see. Did you see the little the little nod to Mothra in there? Yeah, I did. I did see that, and I was surprised that I saw that because <laughs> I've never seen any other Godzillas. And I was just like, Mothra. And then I was like, why am I excited about that? I don't know what that is. I, I would assume that Mothra is going to be in the sequel. I'm, I'm pretty there sure. Should, there shouldn't be any more, honestly. The, well, you yeah, just, there will You be. should just cut it off. I know. I know that there's going to be, but just cut it off here. You nailed it. Let's move on. Yeah, because, I mean, I don't it's know. It's just going like, to get worse. Yeah, it's just, you would think so. Because yeah. the next one will have to have more Godzilla. I know. You know. There's no story to Godzilla. Let's be honest. There's nothing to him. It's just monsters fighting. Just monsters yeah. duking it out. Yeah. That's all you got here. How much depth do you want? Because you're not getting it. I, I, I do think that this should be this should be it. Like, don't... Just stop. Don't fuck it up. Don't... Stop it. Just like Transformers, really. If they would have stopped with the first one, it probably would be much... Yeah, okay. More, yeah, much more highly regarded. Because when there... the, when the second and third one came out and they were garbage, people started, you know, complaining about the first one. And the first yeah. one's not bad. So there you have it, Godzilla. You're gonna give it uh, four out of five. Is that an eight out of ten? Gonna go eight I, out of ten. I'm at, I'm at eight. I might be. I'm leaning towards a nine. Wow, that's really impressive. I had I had a shit ton of fun. You know, and that's really all that you can ask for when you're going in for this movie. I started with a 7 out of 10 on this, and I've been thinking about it because I saw it on Thursday. So I'm a few days removed now. I, I've i still been thinking about it. I've been talking about it, having discussions with people online. So I might actually bump it up to an 8 at this point. I, yeah. I mean, the more I talk about it, I want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Again. Yeah. I want to see it right now. I want to stop talking about it and see it. Just go back to the theater and see it. If you can, see it in the IMAX if it's playing anywhere. Around. I, want, I want to see that blue thing. 
that blue mm. spewing forth fire is that yeah that surprised the shit out of me i was like oh what's going on there for say oh my god <laughs> i i had a feeling that they were gonna do that because oh my god because i do know that from the other godzilla movies and i had a feeling they were gonna go there with it and i was really hoping and that was that i mean that was the money shot right there Oh yeah, it's so awesome. <laughs> and the way that, the way that it looked me. too, the way that it, they yeah, because the they do they it animated. down at the tail and uh-huh. it goes up through the and you're just like, what's going on here? And he, get, so, and he kind of shakes. Was, he kind of gets yeah, that like was, shaking in his jaws. Yeah, <laughs> gets a gets a little bit of a shimmer there, little, uh, sh- little shimmy shake. Awesome. And then just fucking let's go. Well, there you, there you have it. Go see Godzilla. Don't listen to what the people are saying about it. Just go see it. It's it's a do lot you, of fun. Yeah, if you want to see monsters destroy things, then this is fucking perfect. I agree. I agree. All right, let's talk about some predictions. Last week, we predicted Godzilla. You said 78. I said 76. Actual 72 on Godzilla. Uh, Now that I'm removed from it, I would have went higher. And Million Dollar Arm, you said 42. I said 60. Actual 59. Damn it. Yep. So there you have it there. Next week we have X Men: Days of Future Past. Another big one. Again, got to see the trailer for this. Magneto lifting what is that? Baseball field? Some sort of stadium? Football field? I don't know what the hell it is, but I want to see that. Uh, I'm really excited for this. Um, I have high hopes. So. I'm and it drops it down in the middle of traffic. Are you kidding me? really really hoping that this turns out as good as i i want it to so i'm gonna say this is a tough one though yeah you have no idea how it's gonna go the thing that concerns me is the amount of characters and i know i've talked Mm -hmm. about this before but i i don't know um i'm gonna say 76 okay i'm gonna go 72 for the pretty much for the main reason that you're talking about, there's going to be that whole Wolverine going around and gathering everybody up. That's going to take up like 45 minutes of this damn movie. Yeah, I don't know how they're gonna. I don't know how they're gonna do it. I don't know how much screen time each of these characters is gonna get. Yeah, and it's gonna be like, I'm not gonna help you. You need to help me. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to be a part of this, Wolverine. You have to be a part of this. The future depends on it. Yeah. All right, let's go. Oof, whatever. <laughs> uh, also, we have Blended, the latest Adam Sandler vehicle. <laughs> what are you thinking on this one? Zero. Zero? Fucking stop it. I'll say 10. That's the one with Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore, Adam Sandler. Back at it again for the third time. A three-peat. Oh. Looks bad, so. Yeah, it does. In limited release next week, we have Tracks, which uh, I don't... I'm, I'm, I'm pretty interested in this one. I can't remember what that one's about. It's uh, trekking across the... Oh, that's the one with Mia Wasikowska. Yeah. Yeah, where she... It's like based on a true story, right? Where she... Yeah goes across the outback or something by mm-hmm. herself yep yeah 1700 miles looks interesting looks pretty interesting cold in july the latest jim mickle movie with michael c hall just talked about mm. that one i didn't get a chance to see that at sundance but i wanted to it looks it looks good so i'm, 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 I'm apprehensive about this one just because i didn't like mickle's last film i thought but you were okay. hearing I good you were things okay with it 
It's all right, but it did get into a bit silly there at the end. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, his other movie, Stakeland, was not bad. I didn't, I didn't like it that much though. So, but I think that this one looks looks pretty interesting. Uh, the Love Punch. That looks rough. That one looks rough. <laughs> what is it? The Love. The Love Punch. It's in. Is it an eighties movie? An eighties movie? No. What's this? Do you see the poster there? Yeah, the pink. Are you sure, sure it's not an 80s movie? Yeah, it just looks bad. Looks like a straight-to-VOD romantic comedy. Mm. Uh, we also have no. The Angriest Man in Brooklyn. That's the Robin Williams one. Yeah. Where he has, like... He goes to the doctor, and they tell him he has 90 minutes to live. Yeah. Which, what? You, and <laughs> what is that? He does all that shit in 90 minutes. Have you... Have, I don't know. My God. Half the time he'd be. I mean, have you been in that city? Yeah, half the time he'd be spent sitting in a cab. Sixty percent of the movie would just be spent sitting in a cab. You get to someone and then you die. That's like the realistic (laughs) version of this movie. Uh, Hopefully, we'll have a review for that one up. Um, Also, hopefully not. The Dance of Reality, Stand Clear, The Closing Doors, which got a decent amount of buzz, and yet I have no interest in seeing that one. I sort of want to see that one. Yeah, trailer didn't do it for me. That's one of the things that we didn't really talk about with Michael Tully. One of the things that I wanted to add. The the last couple years here, at least definitely this year, probably into last year, a lot of times I'm getting more excited about the VOD releases than I am about the theater releases. Oh, yeah, same here. Because out of everything that you just said, the dance of reality is the one that I would be shouting from the rooftops that you should see this film. Yeah. The things that are coming out in the theater. Yeah, I think I think Cold in July also comes out on yeah. video on demand. So, I mean, X Men like the, the summertime is a little bit of an exception yeah. because of the huge it, blockbuster releases. But you uh, know, for the rest of the year, uh, a lot of times the video on demand ones are the, the interesting yeah, ones. Yeah. So uh, also we have Gore Vidal, the United States of Amnesia. And that's pretty much it for releases. On DVD and Blu-ray, we have Three Days to Kill. Let's say skip that one. Grand Piano. I would check that out, but it's been on demand for like two Ages. months. So yeah. probably just ran it on demand. Uh, Monuments Men, which I would uh, skip that, unfortunately. Big disappointment. Pompeii, skip it. And Vampire Academy, skip it. Wow. That's rough deep. week. That is weak. What do you got on Criterion? We have one Criterion, and that is Kurosami's latest Like Someone in Love from 2012. This is actually, it's coming out on Criterion, dual format, Blu-ray, DVD. But as of right now, you can you can watch this on Netflix Instant. Oh, okay. So you can just bypass the bypass Criterion tree. Bypass it. Of course. Just watch it on your Netflix. Of course, you won't be getting all those amazing bonus features yeah but you're just there for the movie I, I wanted to mention i for i forgot the twin peaks box set was announced this week uh, for any of you that uh, were into twin peaks the show you might want to check that out it comes out in july and it collects the entire tv series as well as firewalk with me the movie and it has a ton of bonus features including 90 minutes of never before seen footage so this is this is i'm gonna get back into this it's like and it's not bad either it's like 100 and 
$110 or $125 or something, which isn't bad for when when you look at what what all you get in the box set. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely I'm definitely going to get it. So, really excited to revisit. And I just watched Twin Peaks like maybe 3 years ago. I watched the whole series. So, I I think I'm going to have to go back to it. So, yeah. Right. I think I'm going to have to say because we we started it and it sort of it died out a little bit but i think we're gonna have to take that back up it's only two there's a, the the show's only two seasons so it's not like it's you know yeah no long. there's one other thing that i wanted to mention i tried to watch um the grandmaster on netflix instant one car why mm-hmm. uh, i know a lot of people love one car why but i'm gonna be that one guy that says that his movies are absolute shit Ooh. and i can't fucking stand them and the Grandmaster, I couldn't even finish it. That movie was a steaming pile of shit. Well, I, I have not seen the Grandmaster, and I was yeah, I actually wasn't that interested in it. So it's he does that terrible '90s cinematography of oh god, it looks so terrible. <laughs> I could just I was so angry watching it, and finally I just turned it off, and I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm never watching another Wong Kar Wai movie ever. Wow. He's dead to me. Wow. That's pretty pretty intense there. I know a link leader doesn't even get that kind of yeah. treatment. I would hope that you're gonna see boyhood, but man. I'll probably see boyhood. I did enjoy Bernie, so That's right, you did. I remember that. I did I did he he brought me up with the, remember Bernie was the that was it. That was the make or break. And, and it he was passed the, he he yeah, he passed the checkpoint. We added twenty more minutes to the clock. He's back in there. All right. Well, I think that that will wrap it up for all the latest film news and reviews. Visit filmpulse.net. Send us your questions to podcastfilmpulse.net, and we'll be sure to answer them on the show. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net, and be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we'll see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie. I mean, it it goes it stars. <laughs> <laughs> I get this. I get this sense. Just get the sense that it wasn't that good. <laughs>